This is UKFI Pod. Welcome, y'all. As the first UK specific FI podcast, UKFI Pod aims to bring you stories and introduce you to characters in the UKFI space. Hi there, I'd love today to welcome Christine from Frugosaurus. Hi, Christine. Hello, Miss You. How are you today? I am fabulous, thanks. How are you doing? I'm not too bad myself. Great. Well, firstly, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the UKFI podcast. I was really keen to get you on board because I know you've lived in the UK from some, for some time and now you're back home in your native Norway. And I think the FI community at the moment's possibly very America-centred. And I know the way of life, society and politics are very different in the US. And then I'd put the UK sort of midway and then the Scandinavia from Norway a very different way as well. So I'd love to hear your perspective on things both in the UK and Norway and how they compare. So first of all, how would you introduce yourself to people that are interested in FI in, I suppose, a quick say a minute? Uh, let's see. I'm half of a recently married couple who are aiming for financial independence, not through saving as is tr- the traditional way, but more through side hustles and entrepreneurship so that we can live wherever we want without having to depend on an employer giving us a paycheck. So ideally, we'd like to have find rural home with lots of forest and land and a good internet connection. And we can grow our own food and then go online and do whatever work that we want to do and then spend the rest of our time doing whatever we want. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Yeah. So would you like to share your demographics with the audience? I know you mentioned that you're recently married. Do you have any children? What sort of ages are you and where are you based? We live in a a town called Trondheim. We're in Norway. I'm 28 years old. I'm female. We have no children. We recently acquired a gecko, which we call Bast. Mr. Uh, Frogosaurus is uh, seven years old and is a transgender man, so we would never be able to have biological children anyway. But we choose not to have children because we think there are enough humans in the world as it is. So we would adopt if, if anything became relevant. Yeah, I think I'm in a similar place with that as well. I definitely don't want to have a baby. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I could possibly see myself adopting an older child years down the line when yeah, they're I mean, over they're that always, baby stage. And Yeah, there are always foster children in need of a home, so there's always some place if you really wanted to take care of someone. There's always someone, I think. And I suppose, as it is an FI podcast and we're interested in money, obviously you don't have to share everything and specifics or generals are fine, but we find people relate better to guests if they have sort of a rough understanding of where they're coming from, money-wise, context-wise. Are you willing to speak about income details and lines of work at all? Yeah, not at all. That's not a problem at all. So I spent first five years studying chemistry in university because Norway has a very generous school system in that way. So when you graduate, you get about 40% of your loan cut off if you pass all your exams. So you end up with not too big a debt at all. So I I graduated with about, if I just say 10 knock is one pound, that's a very rough estimate, then I would say that I graduated with about 30,000 pounds of of debt after five years at only... 2% 2% interest rate, so it's a very, very favorable loan. But then there was an oil crisis in Norway when I graduated, so that was proper <laughs> <laughs> All the oil engineers were just flooding the market, and they, you know they've been working for decades before me, so I didn't have anything to compete with. So I spent the first year just working random temporary jobs and really not finding anything permanent, even though you know you've been promised that if you study science, you're supposed to get a steady job. Yeah. Uh, and then I met Mr. Frugosaurus and we talked and I decided, well, I don't have a steady job in Norway, so I might as well move with him to London where he was, he was doing a bachelor degree 
So I might as well try to find a job in London, which was terribly naive of me, but it somehow still worked out. So I spent the next two years, again, working a bit, temporary ships, picking up bits here and there, and getting a bit, you know, uncertain, feeling very anxious about, you know, depending on an employer for my paycheck, because it wasn't working out. I was kept working all these permanent jobs who never had any stability. And that, that stress went on for three years until I finally landed my current position, which is a four-year contract at a Norwegian university. It is the most I've ever pay, get paid. It's, I would say, about £45,000 a year before taxes. never felt this wealthy in my whole life. It's amazing. Uh, people say that this is a... I'm squared up right in the average for my geographical area, income-wise. But I've never felt wealthier. I've never had a high, uh, higher pace. I'm very, very happy. It's the most stable I've ever been. And I'm one year into that four-year contract, so we'll see what happens uh, after the next three. And we have this preconception, I don't know if it's true or not, that tax rates in Norway are much higher than the UK. Is that true, do you think? Uh, yes, I think, uh, especially if you compare to the UK, they are higher. I mean, I think I paid about 28% in the UK when I was working there, but then I was earning less. And here I pay about, I think, 35-40% tax. But if you compare it to the US, for instance, where they pay much lower tax, I'm talking to my supervisor who is who has worked in the US and he says, well, if you add the health uh, insurance and consider that as a tax because health is free in Norway, then actually in the US they pay higher taxes in total because the health insurance is so expensive. So you do get a lot of, so if you consider the free health care, well, uh, or a subsidized health care, the free uh, schooling, the heavily subsidized university system and the healthcare, then you do get a lot of bang for your buck. But it is it is a slightly higher tax range. But I don't think it's bad because you still ha- I still have a lot of money left at the end of the month to spend on whatever I want. How would you describe financial independence to someone who didn't really know much about the concept? To, to us, financial independence is about responsibly living the life you want. So we'd like to think of it as, you know, the concept that you can do whatever you want, but you cannot avoid the consequences of your actions ah you know I like that <laughs> definition that's great and I think you yeah, mentioned yeah. a bit of it in your introduction about where you are now on your journey early in the journey still uh, <laughs> we, we only found out about FI about a year ago and as soon as I learned about it uh, because I had just gotten this job with all this extra money that I didn't know what to do with so I started reading about it and I was instantly like on fire and I convinced Mr. Frugosaurus to that it was a great idea and he didn't really know what I was talking about because he was still a student so he didn't have any money to throw around <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was like all right you do whatever you want but he has gradually really come uh, on onto the FI side and he's really excited about this ability to create the life that we want on our own terms so we are very very early in the beginning we've only been saving money for a year so I only broke net worth positive a few weeks ago oh, which congratulations. Very, thank you it's very exciting so we are still very early early in the career but we are focusing more on building side hustles than saving a lot of money and then retiring 10 20 years yeah. from now so we we don't know when we will be FI, so to say, because it depends on how fast our hustles will grow. Yeah, and it sounds like you still want to keep working on more interesting projects rather than a day job, as it were. Yeah, for sure. I want to. I missed, you know, the flexibility you had as a student, where you did have like you had a few hours off. You could go run an errand. You could go for a lecture. You can read in the evening if you wanted to. Whereas in a day job, you're working from this in Norway from eight to four typically or nine to five, and you have less freedom to plan your day. And I really, I find that I really miss that. I miss being able to say that I want to meet a friend at a cafe in the middle of the day and then just 
catch up on my work in the evening instead. And I really miss that flexibility. So I would like to continue working, but I would like to continue working without having to, you know, answer to an employer and be in the office every day. And do you believe this was FI and the concept of saving or working on different things is suitable for everyone? I think so, especially if you think about financial independence, because I think everyone wants to feel financially secure. But I think that financial independence can be different for, for everyone. But the way we are looking at it, financial independence is basically us trying to build our own basic income and then going on and do whatever we want. And I think everyone can benefit from that. Everyone can benefit from feeling financially secure, regardless if that is having just a thousand pounds or a hundred thousand pounds or a million. There is something about feeling financially secure that allows you to make decisions you wouldn't otherwise be able to make that I think everyone would benefit from. The freedom to say no to things and take time out when you need to. Yeah, for sure. Would you have any simple advice you would give people at various stages of FI? So if somebody was, say, in the place you were a year ago and was a newbie and wanted to get involved, what advice would you give them? I think the first thing is to try to figure out what financial independence means to you because there are so many different blogs out there. There are so many different voices, so many different flavors. Some some places it's easy to get stuck on, you know, some people are very, you know, this is the one right way to do it. And I think that's a bit, this is different for everyone. So I've think you would just like read and see don't try to make someone else's recipe fit for you if it really doesn't fit just mold it to your own needs if it takes you a bit longer to reach financially it doesn't matter just try to make it your make it your own so that you're actually enjoying it and not just dreading the 10 years you have left until your fi or whatever and then actually try to make a life that you enjoy living even while you're saving for it that definitely makes sense with working out your why (laughs) Yeah, and working out what actually works realistically for you in the situation you're in yeah because we're all different right so it's and what works for me won't work for you and vice versa yeah absolutely put into the habit and if you just manage to get into that habit of just automating your finances and everything just goes automatically then you don't have to think about it i was gonna say so you guys feel you've got it automated and you're on the path now or do you sometimes feel that it's getting harder how has it worked for your year in Oh, I'm not, I'm not less dedicated. If anything, I'm really impatient because I really, really want that house in the forest. So I keep sending, you know, Mr. Frugosaurus the, you know, prospects for nice houses and he sends something to me back. And, you know, it's more like feeling that we're impatient. We really want what's at the end goal. So for more, it's, it's more to try to pace ourselves and try to go, well, we're actually going in the right direction. It will still take some time. So it can be a little bit frustrating, but it's, yeah, we're, we're trying. So we have automated what we want to automate but I actually feel a little bit of pleasure if I can go into my accounts and say I will transfer a small sum into savings or investments I'm just to feel like I've made a tiny bit of progress just to give myself a little push and then I can go back and get on with my day yeah that makes sense it's probably a good time now to ask about investments so do you invest if so how why what sort of asset allocation do you have? Um, primarily right now, because we really, really want a house, and it's about three years down the line, we do primarily save uh, yep. in what is uh, in Norway a very favorable mortgage savings account, uh, which is really, really, it's really mad when you compare it to some <laughs> other countries. I mean, you get 3.2% interest. Wow, that's so good. There it is. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so it's really high, but of course it's locked. You can only use it for buying a plot of land or a house or paying down a mortgage. So you can use it for anything else once that money is locked down. And if you do 
talk to the bank and say, I really need this money after all, they will give you a penalty because you will then lose all that interest that you saved on it. But it's a really, really good account. So most of our money goes there. There is a little bit that we about, I would say 10, 20% goes into index funds, a little bit in Norway, a little bit in Europe, Asia and the rest of the world. But um, when I talk to another friend of mine who is environmentally conscious, I actually feel a bit uncomfortable talking about investing just in index fund because, you know, when you do invest in index fund, you invest in the whole market. So you also invest in, you know, gun producers and oil companies and people who don't necessarily treat their employees well. That was something so, I was a bit worried about as well. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I want to maybe have a look at my own in investing and see if I can find anything else that is more sustainable, like more I try want would like ideally to invest my money in something that will make the world more sustainable uh, and there was launched actually a fund in Norway just two months ago uh, but my platform doesn't have haven't implemented it yet but they basically work in the way that I mean an index fund is an algorithm it just follows the market so to give it all these rules is a bit difficult for oil markets but they basically work on exclusion what? so you take an index fund and they say you are excluded based on you have a horrible working loss or something like that, or you're an oil company or you're a gum. So they just go through uh, like the world index and they just start picking out based on systems. So I look really look forward to that showing up in my in my investment account. And I will definitely be exchanging my world index fund with that index fund. So it's tiny, tiny bit of progress, but I think there's still a long way to go to find truly sustainable ways to invest that don't have the risk of you know investing in single stocks. I definitely feel you there. There's definitely a lot more that as brokers and people that own index funds can probably do to push people to go that way as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so because I mean we keep coming back to the most uh, efficient way you can change the world is actually to vote with your money. I know it's sad, but sadly that se- money seems to make the world go round. <gasps> yeah, it's true, isn't it? <laughs> You're mentioning sustainability, share your thoughts with us because I know you go quite far. Well, I call oh, you're, you're very good. <laughs> Much better than me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, well, yeah, I could go on probably for a while about this. I mean, uh, even before I met Mr. Frugosaurus, I would like to say that environmentalism was sort of my first love. Like when I was just an apathetic teenager, not knowing what to do with myself, that sort of became trying to help the world became my purpose. Mm-hmm. So I, I really, really, so I chose my, my, what I studied based on it, I studied environmental science, although looking back, I'd like to have maybe done something more practical. I, I want to help. I think we can um, agree that there is a problem. I think most people agree now that there is a problem. Well, I think a lot of people think that it's a very big, hairy beast, and they don't really know which end or tail to start with. But I think that it's good to just start somewhere. We can all do a bit. I do, I do. Uh, I have the ex- this example from Norway. There was this uh, non-profit organization called uh, The Future in Our Hands that started doing this awareness campaign about palm oil in, you know, biscuits, especially cookies, so ready-made food and stuff like that. And they really made this awareness in people's minds and people stopped buying products with palm oil in them. So now in Norway, you'll see that most of the biscuits and cookies and other products that traditionally have palm oil in them in Norway will have a little bit of a you know, an advertisement on the box saying no palm oil. Can you remind us the problem is with palm oil? They do a lot of deforestation of the rainforest. So, you know, you have a big uh, habitat loss for all the creatures in the rainforest and, of course, all the bio, um, biodiversity loss. Ah, right. So they are basically just burning down acres and acres. I think it's like something like one or two football fields a second <gasps> that wow. they destroy of rainforest for the production of palm oil plantations. So... Uh, the palm oil industry is trying to diffuse by trying to have these accreditation that say this palm oil is honored from plantations that have not destroyed rainforest uh, 
and such things like that. But there's still a lot of controversy around palm oil. So in Norway, they just started having this really big no against it, and it and they really managed to make people stop buying the products, and then the producers had to turn around. So it, again, it comes back to if you can get the consumers on your side, you can do anything. Yeah, consumers drive the demand through money. Yeah, absolutely. The company should uh, react, yeah. So what sort of things do you do, see in the, at, at home? Uh, let's see. Uh, we're trying to be as uh, zero waste as we can with things that are already in our house. So uh, we don't haven't quite got to the point yet where we don't buy, uh, where we buy our groceries zero waste. So we'd still bring in a lot of uh, plastic and paper yeah. and stuff, sadly. Everything seems, to Everything seems to come in plastic, doesn't it? Yeah, and in Norway, it's, uh, it was not so bad in the UK because, like in Sainsbury's, you could buy fair trade bananas without any plastic. But in Norway, all the organic or fair trade produce is in plastic to differentiate it from the regular produce when they check it out. So either you choose between something that is in plastic and sustainable, or it's something that you know might be full of pesticides and could potentially harm both the planet and the farmer. But we try to uh, stop the plastic use there so we have a lot of you know tupperware containers for food storage we try to use them instead of you know singles instead of plastic bags we have uh, cloth napkins that we use oh. a lot they're not just for fancy dinners we just make a lot of them and we just give them to guests like regular paper napkins and just throw them in with the linens in the wash when we do our laundry simple things like that i recently went into the big splurge of getting an electric bike which is really exciting oh, i wow. feel super indulgent i've never had such an expensive so bike how, before. How, how does that work does it do you still have to pedal and it just makes you go faster or? Uh, you do have to pedal to make it go around, but basically it feels like, you know, you're on a treadmill on a bike just going at a flat. And in Trondheim, there are a lot of hills and we live on the top of a hill. So basically it's really easy to get to anywhere, but I would always feel a big, I didn't want to take out the bike to go anywhere because I knew I had that horrible, horrible, long, steep hill to go back home again. So it really just made it difficult to choose to bike over, say, the bus or spending several uh, minutes walking somewhere mm -hmm. so this just makes it a lot easier a lower barrier of entry to yeah. go anywhere and get faster around yeah so do you have a car or are you car free we don't have a car we've, we've never had a car either of us because we always lived in cities with reasonable uh, public communication now the this little electric bike has become our car i mean we have a little trailer for it that you can hitch at the end of the bike and we just go around picking up free stuff from from uh, you know our norwegian version of gumtree and stuff like that so we uh, that's another thing we do. We very rarely buy something new. Yeah, what, what's an example of a recent thing you've bought secondhand? Often we don't even buy things secondhand. Oh, things give, people give away things oh, like God. you wouldn't believe. We <laughs> furnished our entire flat. With, I think we bought one nightstand for £20 secondhand, and the rest of the furniture in our entire flat was free. Wow, you're good. <laughs> give give away stuff. People, I mean, it's barely a few years old and it's perfectly functional and people just don't want it they just want something new so we've basically furnished our entire flat with old stuff people give away stuff all the time it's weird but it works yeah that's really good it does often shock me as well how disposable things are nowadays yeah it's crazy isn't it yeah. i mean if you think about it i mean i do some uh, historical reenacting with some friends where we basically just try to learn historical crafts yeah uh, so for instance, if you take a sheep and you take the wool and you take and you learn how to spin and you learn how to weave and you learn how to sew, you realize that the sewing is actually the most sh the the thing that takes the shortest time. There's so much work that goes into making a garment that the idea of just tossing it out becomes ludicrous. Oh, I was watching Downton Abbey, and once 
And it's amazing. They, they made the point that in those days, you mocked people who bought their furniture. <laughs> we really need to get back to that way, don't we? That it's normal to inherit stuff. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you're seeing a lot of younger people, they're refusing stuff from their parents because their parents, they had all this focus on, you know, fancy China and pretty things that only came out once a year. I know, I mean, my, my own parents, I mean, my mother has an Easter China. She has two sets of Christmas China. She has a shellfish China. Uh, she knows, but she's not particularly well off. But I know I'm not going to waste space on all those different kinds of china. So it, when I inherit, that probably is going to get given away because what am I going to do with all that stuff? I think we yeah. do need to get more into the reusing things rather than buying new and keeping up with fashion and trends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really can't. I never understood that whole like, what is it? Four seasons in a year that you're supposed to change your outfit. <laughs> I could yeah. never, I could never keep track. I could never stay up with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so what sort of hobbies you're into? You mentioned historical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mentioned historical. Yeah. So we really like to learn historical crafts because that it really ties into my other love for learning sustainable um, crafts. So we like to. I mean, I don't want us to go back to how things were a hundred years ago because obviously there were a lot of issues with, you know, class and economy and everything like that. But I think there's a, a lot of good things that we could learn if we look back and then bring that with us forward. Like how they took care of their food and, you know, you can learn how to ferment food in jars. Then you don't need refrigeration or freezing to yeah. store it. It'll just stay shelf-stable for years without any energy consumption. Yeah, I like uh, that idea. I tried to make sauerkraut last month but it didn't work too well oh, I, don't think, really? I don't think i followed the instructions properly uh i'll tell you my secret uh, because we don't we make a lot of food ourselves at home anyway so we don't have a problem with having too much salt so when they say have a teaspoon per i don't know per head of cabbage i say no uh -huh. no, no. I, I use at least a tablespoon maybe two i want the water to taste salt like the sea <laughs> <laughs> So I really up the salt at least twice as much as the recipe says, and then I generally don't get any mold. So yeah, just things like that, like learning to garden and things like the others. Sustain. I really like being self-sustained, like being able to make my own stuff. So is there any other interesting hobbies you've got? You mentioned gardening and the plans to grow lots of your own food. Uh, yeah, we have plans to do that, uh, but I mean, we do have a tiny little bit of a corner garden which we grow, with, we are allowed to play with from our landlords, but it's very, very small and it doesn't receive a lot of sun, so I mean, we have a little bit of some sugar snap peas and some rocket going on, but uh, it's not terribly big, so mostly it's just reading books about it and waiting mm. until we get our own place and hoping and waiting and looking forward to it. How, how long is the gardening season in Norway? I'm guessing it's probably a bit uh, shorter than the UK. It is shorter than the UK, for sure, but it depends on where you are. And a lot of times you can build, like if you have a greenhouse, you're extending your season by at least a month on either end. And if you manage to build like a courtyard type thing that you, because a lot of the time it's not actually the temperature, it's the it's the wind. Especially if you're in the north, it's actually the wind that dries oh. out the plants rather than the cold. Uh, but for some of the plants, that is the fact that they don't get a long enough season to go all the way from flower to fruit. But you could really help that if you build like a courtyard type thing where you make a little micro climate where it's warmer. Great gardening season because it's only like April to September. Mm -hmm. But I'm always amazed about how much you can actually fit in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a room for a lot. Dedicated gardeners do manage to grow breeds that will take the that will be hardier and take the weather so you do get a lot of variety because you have people who are actually growing sturdier breeds that you can grow in the short season that there is so that is kind of cool that's great so 
be interesting now if we m- maybe move on to thinking about so society, volunteering, equality and privilege. Mm-hmm. What Do you have any suppose, thoughts on them? I know personally I think I'm very lucky to be born in the UK and I suppose you only, I've only realised that by travelling to far places and seeing what life's really like. Yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, I mean, of course, both Mr. Frugosaurus and myself are very, very lucky because we were... We're both white and we grew up in one of the richest countries in the world with very high trust in our government and and things like that. So that's always one of the things that I'm aware of when I travel, that I'm afraid of being very naive because I know that, you know, Scandinavians, we are so used to trusting everything that we just leave things hanging out and don't really think about it. I got honked at by so many cars when I moved to London because I was used to pedestrians having the right of way everywhere and suddenly I don't. <laughs> very privileged in ways like that but at the same time I mean uh, I have uh, autism uh, Mr. Frugrosaurus has, has uh, ADHD and irritable bowel syndrome which does affect a lot how he plans his day and what kind of jobs he can take on because he does need access to uh, restroom facilities pretty much all the time so we have privileges but we also have those things and both of our parents we they were working class so we didn't have like a lot of all the newer things we both grew up uh, getting hand-me-downs from our grandparents and, and stuff like that but at the same time you grew up knowing that you know there was this safety net around you that if you ever even though we both moved away from home at an early age to study or work we both were very independent and wanted to create our own way we are still very privileged in that we know that if anything were to really go wrong in our life we can always we always have friends or family who are willing to offer you know a roof above our heads and a bed and and a all the food if until we get back on our feet so we do feel very lucky in in that sense definitely can chime in with a lot of similar thoughts there it'd be interesting to have a think about your blog would you be able to give us a rundown of your blog and who the the target audience is and who would really appreciate reading your blog (laughs) Uh, yeah i'll try Uh, so fergusaurus came about because i was reading so many financial independence blogs and i just really felt really excited and wanted to do something with it uh, so it started really focusing about uh, our journey and um, where we were and really the very beginning. So I didn't really know who would read it because we were so in the beginning, we didn't know anything. But uh, it has grown to be more focused on the sustainable side because that sort of crept into everything that I was writing and everything that I was thinking about. So it became uh, a frugal and sustainable sort of blog so I tried to write about uh, hacks that you can do to uh, like uh, decrease how much you throw away for food waste and I also write about how much we spend on stuff and how much we earn from our side hustles so I try to be transparent because there was a lot of controversy about the how, how some bloggers are like oh we paid off three hundred thousand dollars in debt in three years or something and then it, it turns out they had a really really high income and a lot of people were unhappy about that. So we try to be transparent about how much we earn. Even though I don't share the money, I share like how much we spend on expenses. And if you really, really wanted to go digging, you could figure out how much I earn. But You get uh, the calculator out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't talk like nitty-gritty like, oh, I earn so much and then taxes and then blah blah But I do give like a rundown of our expenses and our priorities and why we prioritize like that. Because I think especially on the months when you aren't as frugal as maybe you want to portray on the blog, it's important to write those posts as well because then people see that, oh, but they spent all that money on that thing that month, so they don't always have like a super frugal, it's okay to not do it perfectly, it's okay to, so we, I try to have a very open 
and welcoming tone. So if there's any comments that sort of try to be a, this is the one way to do things, I usually tend to delete them because I want to have like a very welcoming tone where people can just talk about anything without feeling judged because it's nice to have a judgment-free zone. <laughs> definitely, yeah, definitely. And it's always good, I suppose, to show the good months and the bad months. Yeah, I think so, because then people see that you're human too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all have our our own things that we're definitely willing to splash out on and things that we're not. Is there any specific yeah. things that you like spending money on? Actually, right now, well, I did have the electric bike, so I'm not going to lie. And the kitchen <laughs> machine that we bought uh, last year has been a massive help in the kitchen. So those are the two things that we spent a lot of money on the last year. It's been the electric bike and the kitchen machine. Uh, but other than that, right now, I actually really like spending money, uh, so to speak, on that mortgage savings account because I really want that house. So I feel like I'm buying a tiny slice of that house every time I put savings in. So actually, I almost feel like I'm buying, so spending money on the house when I'm saving money in a sort of way. And that has been really positive. So when, when do you think you're going to be in a position to buy the house? Or are you ready to jump now if you see the perfect house? Uh, we're not ready quite yet, unless it was really, really perfect. Uh, but ideally, we want to move within three years because, you know, it looks good. Because even though I technically have a, a temporary contract, it looks like a permanent job on paper for the bank. So if we yeah. were able to get a house while I still had this contract, uh, we would probably be able to get a better better, better rate with, while I still had this job. But if it was close enough to me being finished with the contract, then we could look for something that was further away from Trondheim and probably also cheaper because it was further away from the city, a bit more of a commute. But if we have side hustles going by then, then we wouldn't need to have a very short commuting distance because most of our work would be online. So ideally within one to three years would be perfect. So yeah, you mentioned side hustles there, so I get the feeling you're quite an entrepreneur at heart, Christine. What sort of th side hustles do you have now? What ones have you tried in the past? And what are your Mr. Flugosaurus's plans for the future side hustles? Uh, I don't know about feeling very successful yet because it hasn't really taken off yet. Uh, but it started, I have this series called the, the Side Hustle Log where I try to write about my adventures in trying to create something online in side hustles. And it, it began with making soap. Have a background in chemistry so it was pretty easy for me to to make soap and i tried to sell it but i figured out pretty quickly that it was a lot of work to try to market everything and send everything in the mail and stuff like that while i was still having a full-time job so i transitioned away from that and now i try to make uh printables for etsy uh, i try to make like etsy pdfs that are editable where you can write your how much you've saved in a month or how much you aim to save and then you know you get the feeling of accomplishment that you cross out the squares and you color them in and you feel that you you're getting closer to your goal so the kind of kind of encouraging printables that people print in their own homes so i just upload the pdf files or the photoshop file or and then people will just download it into their own computer and then you save you know both on postage on, and on everything like that and some of them you can also just use on your computer you don't have to print them if you don't want to so i'm trying to do that it hasn't been hugely successful yet i mean i've earned last month was the big best month ever and then i earned over 30 pounds so it's not like in the thousands of pounds range or anything like that it's, it's still very small this month we haven't passed the 10 pound mark yet so I still feel like it's it's quite small, but it's it's a lot of fun, and I look forward to doing it after a long day of work. Mr. Frugosaurus, on the other hand, just finished his studies, and he has been working um, as a translator from Swedish to Norwegian while he was a student. So now he just sort of went from doing that part time to taking on more jobs. It's a freelance job, so you just take on more projects when you have time for it, and just less projects when you don't have time for it, and you get paid accordingly. 
So he does that a lot. And then he also writes some short stories that he publishes on Amazon. And he's really trying to do this freelance full time. It's only been a few months since he finished his studies. So it's, he's still beginning, but it's, it's very exciting, I think. I mean, he's uh, already able to cover his half of all the expenses of our household just from the first few months out of his exam. So I think it's really, really exciting. And I'm, I'm, he's a bit uh, anxious about paying the bills, but I think it looks really, really positive. And it's, it's a lot of fun to see him being able to build his own job and being being happy about being able to like now right now he is um, down south watching his grandmother's dog because she is going on a vacation and he can do his job just as easily from there as he would from our house so he it gives him this geographical freedom that he can just go see friends on the other side of the countries and still work and then come back again so i think it's it's brilliant it's exactly the kind of thing that we want that's great he's managed to start that immediately after university and making such a profit in the first few months is amazing yeah, I'm really amazed. And it really helped that he already had this as, you know, a small part-time job while he was a student. Uh, he just now ramped it up. So what are your thoughts when you move this was further away from town? Do you still want to have a day job or are you thinking of going self-employed and work at, scaling up more of your side hustles? I would hope to have the side hustle working. I mean, uh, ideally, we want to have a, a house that is fairly inexpensive because we were looking for, you know, places uh, that are small rural homes that are a bit too far from the city that people don't really want to commute so a fairly inexpensive home and we want since we want to grow a lot of our own food ideally we want to have things like solar panels and you know be self-sustained so sort of we want to bring our expenses so far down that it wouldn't take much at all in terms of income to make things go around so that is ideally what we really want is to just get the pay off the house not have a lot of expenses and then it wouldn't take much at all to to stay afloat yeah, so the plan is suppose, keep the expenses low, uh, a reasonable cost in the house, and then you don't actually need to spend that much time working to make money. Yeah, so then even if my side hustles don't bring in a lot of money, they would hopefully be enough to, to be what we need. Uh, that is the dream anyway, to just live off the, the side hustles or projects or, or things like that. And the other one I was going to ask, I know you mentioned with Mr. Frugalsaurus there, I suspect you as well speak a good few number of languages. And uh, I was interested in why your blog's in English. <laughs> that was just because so many of the other bloggers were in English. So I know there's actually one other blogger in Norway who writes in Norwegian on, on similar terms. But I wanted to, I mean, a lot of the, this was, you know, feeling that this was a cool thing. Like I was reading a lot of Frugal Woods' blog and, you know, Tread uh, Light Really Retire Early. So if I wanted to communicate with those people and they wanted to communicate with me and for me to be part of this larger community, then it was natural to write the blog in English because otherwise... I wouldn't actually get to talk to other interesting bloggers. It would be more of a me and my diary type of thing <laughs> I, I would, be, would be nervous about. So do you think there's much potential for the FI community growing in Norway? Oh, I think there could be, yeah. There's a lot of potential here. But I think a lot of Norwegians, especially since, you, I mean, FI people typically, they're curious and they look for information online and they... So I would think if people who are curious about FI in Norway, they would already be pretty fluent in English. So it's not really a problem to have information in English, even if sometimes I try to have information that is specific to Norway, like our investment platform that is not Vanguard because they're not in Scandinavia, but our uh, equivalent, which is called Moodnet. Uh, I could write a little bit about that. But I think for the people who are interested in FI, they would already have a good enough grasp of the English language that giving them information in English is not actually a problem. Yeah, I think you're probably a much more bilingual society than we are here in the UK. <laughs> well, the problem I think about that is that 
since we learn English from such an early age, I always compare any other languages I try to learn with English, and I never feel like I'm because we had to use English from the second uh, semester in university. All the textbooks and most of the lectures were in English, so you just get used to using it. So when I try to learn any other languages, I always compare it to my proficiency in English, and then I always feel like I don't know any other languages, <laughs> because <laughs> it's quite a high bar to get up to, since I actually use English every day at work. So what other languages do you speak, then? I don't feel like I speak any, but I do know a few phrases in Spanish. And Mr. Frugosaurus is very keen on learning Japanese, so we are planning to have that as a sort of trip when I finish this contract to go to Japan, which will be our big, very delayed honeymoon, so he's okay. trying to learn Japanese. But it's difficult because you don't have, you're not immersed in the society. It's always more difficult to learn a language, isn't it? When you're not actually in the in the country, when you're just trying to learn it online or through books or stuff like that. I'm trying to learn Chinese. It's hard. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a challenge. <laughs> also be interested. Do you have any sort of thoughts on the difference between working in Norway and working in the UK since you've been lucky enough to work in both places. I will preface to say that we live just in London so I mean our my experience of the UK is very very limited to that very very okay. specific demographic yeah, so that is uh, that is London. So you live in London which is obviously the capital now. Very high cost yeah. of living in the UK and in Norway you're not in the capital or yeah, yeah, no, we're not in the capital, but we're in a fairly. We're in one of the bigger student cities, so mm -hmm. I would say the rent is not just dissimilar from the capital, but it's a flat here that we pay. In the UK, we paid a thousand pound for a, I think, thirty square meter flat that was a bit cramped for two people, and here I think we have a fifty square meter flat for about nine hundred and fifty pounds. That is completely normal, and we have our little outdoor space, and it's so the prices are even though. You always hear that Norway is more expensive, and it is more expensive in terms of food and stuff. You can get deals like that, so the real estate is a problem. But yeah, when it comes to work, I'm not sure. I think London is great for the people who have a sort of busier lifestyle, who enjoy going out, who enjoy uh, having lunch with colleagues, who enjoy a more active lifestyle, whereas I am more of a homebody. I like to stay home. I like to just spend time with friends at home with a cup of tea and just a conversation. So I just think... London is a great city, but it wasn't the city for me. And that, in that sense, I think the thing I enjoyed most about London was the, the Kew Gardens, which were amazing. I went so far as to get an annual pass for, because I thought they were my favorite place in all of London were the gardens. They were just fabulous. Working culture, because I'm so used to start be, being, especially being working class, I'm very used to starting at, you know, 7.30 or 8 and working till 4, mm -hmm. whereas... In, in London, it's much more common to come, you know, at 9 or 10 and then work, work till 5 or 6 in the evening. And I always felt I was so late because I'm so used to getting up at 6. And then if I get to work at 10 and come home at 6 again, I almost, I don't have any left of my day. So I actually managed to, to get that arranged at my last employer that I could actually come in earlier and leave earlier because that was just what I was used to. I just couldn't get used <laughs> to coming in at work what felt like me being very late. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how those little things really make a difference, isn't it? Yeah, because we're so similar in so many ways. I mean, it's just across the pond and you're not that far away from each other. But once you actually live in some place, you notice there are all these tiny cultural differences that you never really thought about before. Like people would run to the underground when there is another one coming in literally three minutes. I could never fathom <laughs> living a jet set life like that. <laughs> it's definitely different. So it'd be great to move on to, I've got a set of five questions I'd love to ask everyone. Yeah. Are you feeling ready for the questions? Yeah, let's do, okay. let's do it. So what would you do with a one million pound windfall? 
I thought about that <laughs> for a while, and I just I can almost not even fathom that much money. I've never I've never seen that much money in my life. But I think I mean we definitely fill up those uh, mortgage account that we're waiting for, and then just sort of wait for that house to come along that we we want to buy. But so we wouldn't we would save some, we would in, invest some. But I think we would also give a fair bit to charities because it's pretty much more money than we practically would need maybe I would help friends if they're struggling I mean I, I not I'm not entirely sure because I have a strange relationship with money I've never had a lot of it so now starting to save more money uh, it feels so almost uncomfortable because I've never had money so having that identity shift has been very strange and feels very weird and unreal uh, so I think I would save it for a while just to see what it feels like and then hopefully invest it and Put it into a house and and uh, donate some of it. Oh, cool answer! Yeah. And then the next one is: Do you have a financial spreadsheet? And if so, when did you last update it? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> uh, I have one just for me. Uh, Mr. Frugosaurus doesn't want to log, uh, don't want to log things so <laughs> accurately just yet. But I have one for me that I started uh, last year around the same time as I started the blog, and I tried to update it uh, on the first of every month. But I will admit that I actually updated it. Um, on the 16th of August, just a few weeks ago, because I got tax money back and I was finally at net zero. So I just had to go in and cheat and <laughs> update it yeah. a few weeks early. <laughs> it definitely is a momentous occasion worthy of breaking the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, I cheated a little bit there, but usually it's the first of every month and I just like to log how much I'm saving and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah, the next question is people on the FII path generally love learning new things and trying out new experiences. Is there anything interesting you've learned lately? Uh, well, I did learn that, well, we already mentioned a little bit, that uh, I actually got uncomfortable when I talked to another uh, eco-conscious friend about my investment strategy, that I actually didn't feel so comfortable talking about how I was trying to, in a way, put on my own oxygen mask first, financially-wise, and that mm -hmm. I was actually, I actually think that I want to start exploring new investment strategies, if there's anything we can do that is more sustainable and is as easy to implement as index fund, because that is the allure of the index fund, isn't it? That they're so easy, you just invest it and you forget it. And that is it. You don't have to think a lot about it. There's not a lot of risk. Is there anything that we can do? Uh, so I sort of learned that I felt uncomfortable with that. And now I sort of want to explore if there's anything else that could, could hit more of the sustainable buttons that we're looking for, but still be risk-free. Or not risk-free, but less risk. Yeah. Something that's now got some more interesting stuff to... Yes, I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but we'll see. Uh, and the fourth question, I generally think hindsight in itself is amazing. That if we were able to look back on our lives and things we've done, changes, is there anything you'd like to look back on your life and say, I'd love to have done that differently? Oh, for sure. This might sound strange for some people, but I mean, I was, I, I'm not sure I would have chosen the education that I did, even though I now have a, what people think is a, quite an interesting in job in environmental science, because I mean, I, I did what people expected of me. People expected me to go and have an education because I had the brains, I had the grades. But a lot of the time, I feel like we're standing here, uh, we're doing the research, we're getting the results, and we're just standing on a cliff shouting, hey, there's a problem. We're trying to tell people there's a problem and we just, it feels like we're just shouting to the choir because there's a lot of research out there that tells us there is a problem. So if I actually had the opportunity, I would probably go back and try to be someone that creates a solution instead of just telling people that there's a problem. 
So, for instance, uh, agriculture, growing organic produce or something like that might have been part of the solution instead of just trying to convince politicians and policymakers that there's a problem, you need to do something and try to be the person that actually does something. I love that answer. <laughs> I think I realized similar things as well. It's like, rather than just shouting about it, maybe I should have done something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Mr. Frugosaurus and me have actually just this year joined the political, the tiny, tiny, tiny political party that is focused on a lot of the same things as we are, because we're trying to do more, you know, put our money where our mouth is and, you know, actually try to do be the doers, not just the talkers. Definitely, yeah. Which brings us on to the final question. I think FI is definitely about more than the money and using the money as a tool to give you freedom and ultimately achieve happiness. For you in particular, Christine, when are you happiest and can you take us to your happy place? Uh, I think it would have to be when I'm outside, either in in the forest or in the garden. Uh, We love going foraging for wild berries or picking flowers that we can turn into stuff. Uh, So, I I mean, I had a summer job while I was an undergrad student. I was working at my university as a landscape gardener, you know, just planting summer flowers, uh, Mm. mowing the lawn, cutting the bushes. And it was a a fantastic team. We were so such a good team. And the boss was actually from one of the biggest farms in the area. So every year she would take us for one lunch every summer down to the family farm and we would see how they were producing things organically. And it was just... It was just such a great way to spend the summer. You were outside all summer and you still earned money. It was fantastic. So I learned quite easily that uh, I am really happy when I have dirt between my nails and I'm working with the soil and I'm planting things and watching things grow. I always have something going on in the flat. Like right now there's a little mango seedling that is growing furiously so I always go like oh this seed in my orange or lemon or whatever can I will it grow if I just put it in a pot of soil what will happen so I'm always try. I'm always growing things there's always greenery around us so definitely that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to when we have more freedom is the ability to spend more time with with the nature and in the soil and just spending time in nature oh definitely agree there outside is great yeah, and I think fantastic. we probably in these days sort of lose the beauty and the awe of the outdoors yeah. by spending too much time inside. Yeah, it's so much time in front of screens and it doesn't really compare to, you know, real forests. So I, I, so often I really miss that and that is what, what I really want to get back to. Yeah, so you foresee when you are an FI you'll be able to spend much more time outside and... Yeah, for sure. That's what I'm aiming for. That's that's one of the that's one of the dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Good, cool dream, cool dream. So I was thinking we've probably got to the end of our time. How can people connect with you? I do have the the blog, which is frugosaurus.com, which is probably the easiest way to just you know find some place and leave a comment. If uh, that's not pro- possible, then I do have uh, Twitter and Instagram, where I'm both fairly fairly active. I find that. Twitter is where most of the FI people hang out, so I find myself checking it probably more often than I should. But <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> that is the Frugosaurus. Some people try to find me; they add an L in between, but it's just—it's no L. It's just fru- Frugosaurus, uh, straight out. I'll put links to these in the show notes. But thank you so much for taking the time to speak speak to us today, Christine. It's been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. I look forward to discussions. No Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs> thank you. Bye.
I hope you enjoyed that interview with Christine from Frugosaurus as much as I did. She has loads of nuggets of wisdom. And I think personally, my main takeaway from the interview was to have a core theme of which Christine's is sustainability. And you can see how effortlessly she weaves sustainability into all other aspects of her life, her frugality, her decisions where to live and how she plans for the future. Truly inspirational. I hope you'll agree. Lovely to have you listening today. More details and show notes are available on our webpage www.ukfipod.space. Our intro and closing music is Julie Maxwell's Zia or Freedom. Thanks for listening. See you next time.